I enjoyed the worship. Uh, thank you, Ratio. Uh, pick one to, to close with, okay? Pick a song to close with. Um, I've told you this before, but I sit here when, when you guys are really singing and, and, and it just feels really good. Uh, I can just see the Lord Jesus in heaven. You know, of course, there, there are great cathedrals all over the world and people have gathered to sing the praises of the King, you know. And, and, uh, but I, I can almost see the Lord Jesus saying, hey, look, look at those guys down in that garage. Look at those guys down in the garage, man. Those guys from all, you know, handful of people from all over the world. Look how they love me. Look how they sing to me. I know He delights in it, beloved. I know He delights in it. So, thank you for being here and thank you for lifting, lifting up your voice to, to sing praises to the Lord Jesus. In our text tonight, David says, Our God's greatness is unsearchable. It's always been... When I need a psalm for any occasion, I always go to Psalm 145. And every Christian in this room gets that in some measure. That our God's greatness is unsearchable. We get the awestruck wonder thing that Kari Job sings about. We sing that song in here often. The little Hebrew reads, and His greatness, there is no searching. You can't search it out. It can't be searched out. For a billion eternities, the greatness of God will not be searched out. Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase in the Message Bible, he says, there are no boundaries to His greatness. Amen? I think that's why you're here. Even though you come from all over the world, I think you have to... You're... you're you, Every real Christian, they have to find a place to worship God, to be with the people of God, and to worship Him. I was thinking deeply about His greatness, and I've got 16 statements here. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to these. I don't want you to tune me out. There's 16 statements, and I want you to hear every one of them. I was just trying to think of the greatness of God. Of course, I can't touch the hem of His garment. But I want you to listen to these. I am the eternal triune God who dwelled in solitary glory throughout eternity past. Yahweh, He's the unapproachably holy God before whom all heaven ecstatically worships. Elohim, He is the almighty Creator God who spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. Adonai, He is the merciful God who called out to a rebellious Adam in the garden. He is the righteous God who drowns the world because of mankind's utter wickedness. He is the gracious God who called out Abraham through whom He might send a Messiah to save a people for Himself. He is the wrathful God who rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He is the warrior God who crushed Egypt and delivered His covenant people. He is the awesome God who met with Moses on the quaking and fiery Mount Sinai. He is the fearsome God who caused the earth to swallow up the rebels in the Exodus camp. He is the faithful God who gave the promised land to His people. He is the incarnate God lying in a manger in Bethlehem. He is the crucified God who died to make atonement for His people's sins. He is the risen God who came out of the grave. He is the ascended sovereign God who reigns over heaven and earth. 
His greatness is unsearchable. God says through His prophet Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, To whom would you liken Me that I should be His equal? God is saying there's nobody like Me. He says it over and over and over in the, uh, in the book of Isaiah. I, and I'm just going to give, I give you this a couple of times a year, but I absolutely love it. I can never hear it enough. Don't you love to hear your God lifted up? Amen? Don't you love to get some sense of just how great He is? Although, again, we can't touch the hem of His garment. But we can let our minds and our hearts and our spirits Think beautiful and deep thoughts about him. But listen, listen to what he says through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he says about himself. I love it when he talks about himself this way. He says, I, the Lord, I am the first and the last. I am he, even from eternity. I am he. I am God and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it the nations are nothing before me I sit above the vault of the earth I am the everlasting God the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth there is no other God besides me a righteous God and a savior there is none except me I am God and there is no one like me amen that's Jesus Christ that's our God Jesus Christ He's our God. And all of the so-called gods are pretenders. They are pretenders. As I've said so many times, our God is God and nobody else is. I'm not sure if all of you understood me last week when I said that in my deep study on the biblical doctrine of hell, which we talked about last week as we closed out our series on you know the We, the we Get To series, we closed it out with what we don't get, right? We don't get what we deserve. God has saved us out of eternal punishment. But I don't think some of you understood what I was saying when I said the study of the doctrine of eternal punishment, it drove me into deep worship. And I think that's why I've landed in Psalm 145. The unsearchable greatness of God. In fact, I'm positive that's why the Lord has taken me to Psalm 145, as we talked about last week, eternal punishment is not a theological scare tactic. The reality of eternal damnation just magnifies the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God. If we're looking at hell properly, if we're looking at the biblical doctrine of hell properly, all we can do is worship. That's all that's left for us to do is worship. This great God. It is infinite holiness. We quoted W.G.T. Shedd last week, that 19th century American theologian, and I, I believe this is true. He said, If there were no hell revealed in the Scripture, we would otherwise be compelled to deduce one simply because God is so great. God is so holy. He is so righteous, we would be morally and intellectually compelled to deduce that there must be hell for those who would reject this great God, who would rebel against this great God, who would be indifferent toward the glory of 
this great God. And I just want to say this, and I'm going to move on, but I want to say this from last week. When people dismiss the doctrine of eternal punishment, which is widely done in what is called the modern church today, it's because they're looking at themselves. And if we just simply look at ourselves, as I said last week, we are very tempted to say that eternal suffering cannot be just. It cannot be just. But what I challenged you last week with the biblical truth that if we look at God and His infinite greatness, then as Shed says, we are bound to deduce that there must be eternal punishment for those who would reject an eternally good and gracious and merciful and kind God. So, if we're looking at ourselves, we, we struggle with this doctrine. If we're looking at God, we get it. I'm not saying it's not a hard doctrine, but I'm saying if we're looking at God, we understand that He is unsearchably great. Since God says eternal punishment is real, then it must be just because He says it. It must be just. If eternal punishment is just, how infinitely incomprehensible is the holiness of God? If eternal punishment is just, how infinitely incomprehensible is the evil of your sin and mine? If eternal punishment is just, how infinitely blameworthy it must be to treat the glory of God with indifference. If eternal punishment is just, what infinite glory and purity God must have that everlasting suffering is the just and fitting and suitable punishment for dishonoring and disobeying Him. If eternal punishment is just, what a stunning, shocking, amazing, astonishing, unbelievable thing is the cross of Jesus. Beloved, do not dismiss the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of eternal punishment. You have just diminished God and the work of Christ. Therefore, in Psalm 145.3, for, for that reason and many others, David says, My God, He is unsearchably great! Unsearchably great! Beloved, I think sometimes we are far too casual. Yes, we've talked about it several weeks ago. I preached a sermon. We are the friends of God. He is our friend. He loves us. Not only that, He likes us. We are His friends. But He's the kind of friend that you need to get on your face and worship. Amen? There's a balance here. There's a proper balance. And I think much of the modern church has tilted too far one way this casualness in thinking about God. Last week we noted that Jonathan Edwards, a famous 18th century theologian, and then I'm going to move on, but I want to say this. I love this quote. It makes perfect sense with respect to eternal punishment. Why should you, he says to the rebel, Jonathan Edwards says to the unrepentant, 
sinner. He says, why should you not have wrath as great as the love and mercy which you have rejected? I just think that makes perfect sense. And I told you last week, what is the most outrageous doctrine in the Bible? Is it the eternal punishment of those who reject God? Is that the most outrageous, scandalous doctrine in the Bible? What is the most... I, I, what, what did, anybody remember what I said? Salvation! Why should God save anyone? Why should God save anyone? He told Adam, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. And if perfect justice falls... If God's just going to be the perfect judge, let justice fall. But there's more to God than just simply justice. <laughs> right? There's this infinite love that He must show. This unfathomable grace and mercy that He will put on display as He saves a people for the glory of His name. <laughs> it's a beautiful God. So God says to us, Romans 11.32, He says to the Apostle Paul, Behold the kindness and severity of God. Behold! 1,200 times, 1,200 plus times the word behold appears in the New American Standard Version Bible, which is the one I use. The King James is 1,200 plus too. The ESV is 1,000 plus. God says, Behold! My kindness and my severity, God means for His people to be looking at all that He is and not some caricature. You know, many so-called churches today emasculate Jesus. They, they turn Him into a kindly, oh, Grandfather Santa Claus, pathetic kind of creature. They emasculate Him from His, 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 his justice and His righteousness and His holiness and His wrath. The Lamb's coming. What does it say in Revelation? Have you ever seen an angry Lamb? Yes. Read the book. And men were crying out that the mountains would fall on them that they would not have to face the wrath of the Lamb. Oh, I, I, I hate it when men emasculate King Jesus. Of course, they can't do it, but with their words, the way He is presented again back in Isaiah chapter 45 22 God says look to me and I you know you know 1200 times behold let me ask you have you been negligent have you been negligent in beholding the kindness and severity of God do you gravitate only to the kindness? I just want to look at this kind Jesus. That's all I want. I want the kind Jesus. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. I want the kind Jesus. I refuse to look at anything else that the Bible might say that would upset my delicate sensibilities. Eternal punishment? Not going to listen to that. Beloved, are you beholding the kindness and severity of God? Let me tell you what I told you last week when we closed the service. You will not live a superficial life if you are beholding the kindness and severity of God. You will not live a superficial life. It's impossible to live a superficial life while you look at the kindness and severity of this great God. You will not do it. 
You will not do it. Now, if you're looking at some caricature of God, yeah, you can eat, drink, and be merry because He's just, you know, happy Jesus. I hate, I hate these false caricatures that are in the world when it comes to the Lord. So why am I in Psalm 145? Because of His unsearchable greatness. It's the aftertaste of the study of the doctrine of eternal punishment. I just have to tell you. It's the aftertaste in my mouth. So Psalm 145. Psalm 145. I hope you have a Bible open or electronic device. We're going to preach all the way through the, uh, the, the psalm here. It's David's last psalm. It's believed that this is David's last psalm right before... He dies. It's the only psalm that carries the official title, Praise. It just says, Praise. It's the only psalm that has that title. It's what happens when you spend a lifetime looking at the kindness and severity of God. This is how you end. This is how you end. With praise on your lips. Amen? This is how David ends. With praise for His unsearchably great God. I'll reread the first three verses. I will extol You, my God, O King, and I will bless Your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless You and I will praise Your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. King David sings to his king and he says, I will extol You. What does it mean? Simply this, that God is above all in David's mind and in David's heart and in David's soul. God is above all. He's saying, I put you above all. You are above all. Let me ask you, is that true of you? If God's not in first place in your life, He won't be in your life, beloved. Can I just be honest with you? Jesus Christ is not second to any. David says, I extol my God. He's first. He's always first. He's never not first. This is the confession of David as an old man. God has no competition in David's life. God is the Alpha and the Omega of David's affections. David has no divided allegiances. He loves Yahweh supremely. Yahweh is David's highest treasure and greatest pleasure. Yeah, we know David fell Grievously, right? We know that. He took his eye off God. He stopped looking at the kindness and severity of God for a season in his life, and he fell in a grievous manner. Amen? But here's what David did, Psalm 51. He repented. This is what all Christians do, all real Christians who fall into sin, they repent. Right? They humble themselves before God. Listen, if you need to repent, go to Psalm 51. It's as poignant as it gets. It is powerful and beautiful. This outpouring of repentance before God from the heart of David. But that's what David did. He repented and then here's what else he did. He finished with God. Right? He finished with God. He's soon to die, but he's praising his God. He's Finishing with God. Beloved, I, I've told you this many times. I've been doing this a long time and people just leave. You know? Well, they're, they, I'm, they, they, 
you know, they, they make a profession of faith. They may even get baptized, you know, and, and they're jazzed about Jesus and it lasts about three years or two years or ten years or twenty years. But something happens and they just blow Him off. I've seen it many times. David finished. And I'm going to challenge you, will you finish? Will you persevere? Go read the Revelation. Those who persevere will be with God forever. Will you persevere? Have you already made up your mind no matter what happens, no matter what comes? I am going to finish. I am going to finish with God. Beloved, I challenge you as God has challenged me this week in this regard. Unsearchable greatness. Do you notice in verse 1, David says, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless and I will praise your name forever and ever. What is he saying? What does it mean to bless God? I thought God blessed us. What is he saying? The Hebrew here, David is saying, I salute you, I praise you, I adore you, and I am bowing down before you. That's what the Hebrew means. Is that what your daily life looks like? Are you blessing God that way? David says, David says, I will do this forever and forever. <laughs> he says, I do this while I have my breath and I'll do it in the next life. When my breath is gone, my temporal breath is gone, I'll do it in eternity. I'll do it now and I'll do it in eternity. I love it. Forever and ever and ever. Is what David says also he uses God's name he mentions the the name of God twice here as well and there are a thousand sermons right here um, I did a sermon on Psalm 117 where I attempted to develop the importance of God's name in the Bible and all that he does through his name uh, just briefly he creates he reigns he acts he judges and he saves for the greatness of his name it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. One of my favorite psalms that I've, I've preached on many times here, Psalm 199.3, let me just recite these verses. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise His great and awesome name. I won't comment on verse 3. My whole introduction was verse 3, so I won't comment except to read uh, the first few verses of Psalm 150. The psalmist says, I praise the Lord. I praise God in His sanctuary. I praise Him in His mighty expanse. I praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Amen? Praise God according to His excellent greatness. Don't praise God according to how you feel. Praise God according to Him. According to His excellent greatness. His unfathomable, infinite greatness. Behold the kindness and severity of God. And be in awe of your Creator and your Redeemer, beloved. No more superficial Christianity, okay? No more of that. No more of that for us. Verses 4-7 through seven. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on 
Your wonderful works I will meditate. And men shall speak of the power of Your awesome acts, and I will tell of Your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of Your abundant goodness and shall shout joyfully of Your righteousness. So that's... I hope you heard it. That's your job. It's my job. That's why we're still on the planet. Did you see it? He says, true believers, they praise, they declare, they speak of, they tell, they utter, and they shout joyfully about what? About the works, the mighty acts, the wonderful works, the power, the greatness and goodness and righteousness of God. If you're a Christian, you must speak. You cannot not speak. It comes out. <laughs> if God's done a miracle in your heart, it spills out off your tongue and over your lips and also in your deeds. Did you notice in verse 5, David says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. So we're back. He uses the word meditate. We're back to beholding God in our mind's eye, right? Are you beholding God in your mind's eye? Are you simply too busy to sit down for a little bit with the Word of God and behold Him in His Word? I'm always astonished. People call themselves Christians, but they can't find any time to sit down and behold God in the Word. I am always astonished at this. I am always astonished. How can this be possible? You know, you can't live the Christian life. Now, you can be religious, you can play church, but you can't be a Christian and walk with God if you're not beholding His severity and His kindness, I say, on a daily basis. He is our spiritual meat, beloved. You can't do spiritual battle if you're not eating spiritual meat and spiritual bread. And that's Jesus. This last week, uh, in the Young Adult Bible Study, we were looking at Psalm 119, where the psalmist simply cannot contain himself regarding his love for and delight in God through the Word of God. The psalmist says in 119, just a couple of passages at random, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold your wonderful things uh, uh, in your law. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate, mind's eye, on your wonders. I will behold you as I study your word. I'll behold you. And what did we say last week? Is it Isaiah 66 too? I think it is. It's not in my notes. I will be humble before the Word of God, I will be humble, I will be contrite, and I will be ready to tremble at your unsearchable greatness, God. Psalmist 119, he goes on, Make me understand uh, the way of your precepts, he says, and I shall run the way of your commandments, and you will enlarge my heart. Amen? You will enlarge my heart. I was telling the, the young folks uh, Wednesday night, I got the best job in the world. I sit at my desk and I study the Bible. That's my job. It's amazing, right? And God's just blowing up my heart all the time, right? He's just blowing it up. There in Psalm 19, He says, I will enlarge your heart. And what I want to say to you, an enlarged heart begets an enlarged imagination, which begets enlarged dreams, which begets an enlarged life.
If you're not looking at God, you know what's going to happen? I can tell you from personal testimony here. You know what's going to happen? You're going to live like everybody else. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to be motivated to live any differently than the rest of the world. You're going to be indistinguishable from the rest of the world unless you are looking at the kindness and severity of Yahweh. And when you look at Him, everything changes. When you genuinely look at Him, it all changes. You can easily make the, the, the distinction between the superficial and that which matters forever. Something that comes from spending time in the Word. Verse 6 here, there's this passing reference to the severity of God. The literal Hebrew translation reads, the fearful acts of God. The Old King James translation reads, it's the terrible, the terrible acts of God. And we're talking about judgment here. Again, the kindness and severity of God. The glory of His holy wrath is juxtaposed to the glory of His breathtaking mercy. God means for His people to behold all of His attributes and be in awe. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. Verses 8-10, through 10, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies uh, are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. David speaks of God's unsearchable grace, mercy, goodness, and love. I tell you this all the time. It's because I really want you to have a biblical view of mankind. You know, atheists are always telling us, and mockers and scoffers and agnostics and critics are always telling us that God can't be good because of the evil and calamity and suffering and pain in the world. Okay, how does your Bible read? God put us in paradise. How does it read? Why are we not still in paradise? What does your Bible say? Maybe it says the same thing mine does. I hope. Because we rebelled. We did that. We got, we got kicked out of paradise because we wanted something more than God. We, the world's messed up because we're messed up. I tell you this all the time, but you know, I, I run into so many people that have this false view of God and false view of mankind. Beloved, God means for us to you know, know our Bibles and, and understand what is being said. Regarding God's goodness, in these uh, two passages came to my mind here about God's common goodwill and beneficence. Matthew 6, you remember Jesus in that famous sermon, he, he, he says, love your enemies. And then you remember His illustration. His illustration was His Father. He said, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He is good, the sun rises and it rains, on the evil and the good, and, and on the just and the unjust. God is a God of goodwill and beneficence at all times. That's not to say judgment won't fall when our iniquity is complete. I am always astonished <laughs> at the long-suffering and forbearance of God. This to me is, you know, there's a couple of passages in, in the Old Testament and a couple in the New where God's wrath just breaks out, right? It's just, bam. There's an offense against God and bam, judgment happens. 
that, those are rare occasions. And, when, and you know, I, people come to me and say, why can't God do that? Listen, that should happen every day. It should happen in your life. If you're not in Christ, you are subject to the wrath of God every moment if you're not in Christ. The, the astonishing and scandalous thing about the Bible is not that God judges, but that God relents for so long. And men take license, don't they? We know what the Scripture says. Because judgment hasn't fallen, we'll sin all the more is the implication. Judgment hasn't come. The other passage that came to my mind, you, you guys will know this, Romans 2, 4-5. through 5. Quickly. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience of... Uh, not knowing that the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Why is God being long-suffering that many would come to repentance, right? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here of verse 10 in Psalm 145. He writes, Creation and creatures applaud you, God. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you get the sense of it on a beautiful day that creation is applauding God? Don't you get the sense of it? Don't you get the sense that creation is worshiping its Creator? The psalmist says, The seas roar, the rivers clap, the mountains sing, the field exalts, the trees are singing, the floods lift up their voice. The whole created order is worshiping God except for, oh, guess who? Mankind. As God says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, man does not honor me nor give thanks to me. The natural man. I'm not talking about those who are in Christ, but the natural man. Verses 11 and 12 and 13, You shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power uh, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory, uh, the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. About 60 days ago, one of the privileges we talked about, we get to, we get to, we get to. One was we get to witness, right? Remember, we get to witness. We are God's witnesses in the world. He's trusted us with the Gospel. It's why we're here. You know, Jesus is not simply therapeutic. Much of the church thinks He's like, he's like a pill. Well, I just take my Jesus pill and that's good. I'm done, Right? Yes, Jesus is therapeutic in many ways, but He's not only therapeutic. You are, meant to you are meant to be His disciple and to share the Gospel. It's why you are still on the planet. We talked about it 60 days ago. Look what, look what David says here. He's speaking of, of God's glory, verse 11. He, he's talking about His sovereign power, verse 11. He's making known God's mighty acts, verse 12. Remember, I challenged you 60 days ago about this. Are you ready every day to make a defense of the hope that is within you? Are you ready? And I challenged some of you. Some of you don't have a succinct, clear, biblically accurate testimony that you can lay on somebody in five minutes. Some of you don't have this. You need to have this. God expects you to have this. 
So you can, you can share it with your friends and your colleagues and your neighbor, neighbors and, and, and your family members. Be able to, to, to say it. And I challenge you, if you don't have this, do it. Sit down and do it. Get your testimony to a place where you can give it in five minutes or less. Where you can give an account of the hope that is within you. Beloved, I'm going to challenge you again if you haven't done it. Do it. Good David says here, I'm going to ask you, are you beholding the unsearchable greatness of God and His glory, verse 11, His power, verse 11, His might, verse 12, His, His majesty, verse 12, His everlasting dominion, verse 13? Are you filling your heart and your mind with the excellent greatness of God? Are you speaking of His excellent greatness? Is His excellent greatness evident to all who are in your orbit? Verses 14 to 16. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. There are some who see uh, the principal emphasis of these verses talking about, you know, the common goodwill, beneficence, and grace of God on all mankind. Of course, that's evident there in verse 16. But in my view, David is primarily looking at God's redeemed people. And I think you see it keenly there in verses 14 and 15. And when I read that, my mind immediately went to Psalm 34. Let me just share a few verses with you. Psalm 34, verse 7. This is about the, the man or woman in God. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord. Verse 8. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Verse 9. For those who fear Him, there is no want. Verse 10. Those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. There are many, 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 many more Psalms I could quote. But there's that distinction. Whereas with respect to the rebel, there are, there again, there are many, many Psalms. Let me just give you a few. God dealing with the unrepentant man or woman. Psalm 1-6, the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 2-5, the Lord will terrify the wicked in His fury. Psalm 5-5, the Lord hates all who do iniquity. Psalm 7-12-13, God is indignant every day with the unrepentant. Psalm 11.6, the wicked will receive fire and brimstone. So there is, a, there is obviously a distinction here between the people of God and those who reject Him. I just want to make that distinction. Because it says the Lord sustains all who fall. Well, that's applicable, obviously, to the, to the people of God. And He raises up all who bow down. Obviously, that's applicable to the people of God. The eyes of all look to you. Again, applicable to the people of God. So I just wanted to make that distinction. Verses 17 to 21. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love Him but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. We're back to Romans 11:28. Behold the kindness 
and severity of God. The kindness, verses 17 and 18. The severity, verse 20. Verse 17 mentions the righteousness of God, and we talked about it, we touched on it a little bit last week. How do we know something's right? How do we know? If God says it, it's right. If God does it, it's right. He is the biblical definition of righteousness. There is no other definition. He is the definition of righteousness. God is righteous in all his ways, says David. Verse 17 and 18, The Lord is kind and near to all who call upon Him. What a breathtaking reality. He is near to all who call upon Him. But what's the qualification? Who call upon Him through the the religion of Islam or through apostate Judaism or through Buddhism or Hinduism or the other 10,000 isms. Is that what God says? What does God say? What's the qualification? You tell me from the text. What does it say? Who call upon Him what? In truth! In truth! Beloved, it's hate speech, what goes on, this politically correct stuff that, that brings all religion and, and brings it into a big ecumenical kind of circle. And We're just all the same. We're just different paths to the same God. That is demonic. It is not true. It is not true. There's one truth. Jesus is it. He said it. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no other, beloved. You're supposed to be out in the world telling people this and not be intimidated by PC, politically correct. You tell people the truth. It's hate speech not to. To use one of their phrases... I love verse 19. God will fulfill the desire of all those who fear Him. Don't you love it? (laughs) You know, for a billion eternities, our heart will just be full of desire. And for a billion eternities, God will just be filling that desire, satisfying that desire. He's an infinite being. There will always be more of Him to explore and enjoy. For all eternity, He will. Our exploding hearts will be full of God. 20th century American preacher A.W. Tozer asking an indispensable question. He says this, What is God like? Then he said, It's a question that must be answered if we're going to be any kind of Christian at all. Amen? Are you spending time looking at the unsearchable greatness of God? Because, beloved, if you're not, you don't have anything to say. Let me say it this way. You don't have anything of eternal value to say if you're not beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and then going out in the world and sharing it. How many times have I told you that's principally why you're still walking the planet? God is a gracious and good God. Some of you will marry and have kids and have a great career and maybe have some temporal prosperity and maybe make a real difference in the world some way or another. But that's not principally why you're here if you're a Christian. 
You are here to be a disciple. You are here to witness. And you can't witness if you're not looking and beholding the kindness and severity of God in the Scriptures, beloved. You are emaciated spiritually if you're not looking at God. So as we close, are you like David? Are you beholding Jesus Christ? Are you filled with wonder at the mention of His name? Have you set Him above all others as David did? Have you set Him above all else in the world? Are you His witness? Is your life a testimony of praise to Jesus Christ? Are you speaking of His power and His awesome acts? Are you telling of His greatness and His abundant goodness? Are you communicating the, the glorious majesty of His everlasting kingdom? Are you making known the kindness and severity of God to anyone who will listen? Are you exhorting the, the righteous to go with God and warning the wicked to repent and flee to the salvation that Jesus Christ offers? Are you, beloved? Are you? Are you doing your job in the world? Are you? Verse 21, David says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Will you join him in this? Probably many of you are. Will you speak the praise of the Lord? David's about to die. <laughs> yeah, he made some huge mistakes. But he repented and he finished. And as he is about to step into eternity, King David sings to his king. <laughs> and he says, I will extol you, my God, O king. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, what a beautiful and breathtaking invitation that You have extended to us. <laughs> Behold. Behold. You tell us to simply look at You and be in awe. Lord, You are our fuel. You are our love. We understand why You've left us on the planet. We, we understand what the Bible says clearly. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be mindful and would be committed to being a witness in the world to the unsearchable greatness of Yahweh, the unsearchable greatness of Jesus Christ, the excellent greatness of the biblical God. Thank you for your invitation. Behold the kindness and severity of Yahweh. For Lord, we will not live superficial lives. We will not waste our life if we are beholding your greatness. Help us, Father, I pray. Help us be faithful in this.
And may it spill out of our lives this great love for Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.